You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Good evening, everybody. It is Thursday, February 23rd. Thank you for joining us again here on Social Justice, a conversation. I am Lana Weatherald, a third-year law student at the Boyd School of Law here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, joined alongside Professor of Law here also at Boyd School of Law in Las Vegas, Nevada, Professor Charles Stanton, who also teaches at UNLV's Honors College as well. We have a full slate of topics to discuss with everybody today. So with that, I'm going to let the professor lead it off. Okay. Thank you, Lana. Good evening, everyone. Yes, we're going to start our program with Joe Biden and Joe Biden's uh, uh, trip to the Ukraine and then to Poland. Um, I think uh, it, it gave a major boost to the uh, to the people in uh, the Ukraine that he came there. Uh, and I think uh, the symbolism of it is very, very powerful. Um, I think what he had to say was also very, very powerful. Um, and eloquent too in, in talking about how uh, we as a world are in a, in a major battle between the forces of democracy uh, and the forces of uh, dictatorship. And uh, he uh, going there, I think, really shows that uh, uh, the Western world uh, really is behind uh, the Ukrainian people. Uh, and I think now at this point, after uh, hearing how uh, uh, Vladimir Putin responded, which is basically to try to uh, get himself out of the, uh, the nuclear treaty uh, that he had signed with the United States, uh, I think we need to give them the full uh, measure of armament that they need uh, to, to, to defend themselves. Um, because obviously... Uh, the Russian uh, uh, game plan basically is to eviscerate uh, is to eviscerate the country, and so as we have the power to to uh, help them either through uh, you know uh, uh, planes or other other uh, uh, military uh, weaponry, uh, I think we should do that. Uh, I know there's probably going to be a lot of kickback from the Republican Party because there's a segment of the Republican Party that. Uh, um, somehow is, I wouldn't say sympathetic to, to Putin, but uh, they're sort of neutral. Uh, but I think in a case like this, considering what's happened over the past year, year and a half, um, there, is no, there is no neutrality uh, in an issue like this. So interesting, Trump said at a rally um, earlier this past week, um, he was asked, you know, specifically, you know, if you were to be reelected, how would you handle what's going on in the Ukraine? Um, so I think that this posturing by, by Biden is, is interesting and well-timed because Trump's answer to this question was, I'd only have to make two phone calls. I'd call Zelensky, I'd call Putin, and I'd have a deal done in 24 hours. Mm. This was his exact words. Mm. So I think to, short, to, to sort of indicate that there is still a party of diplomacy. There is still a party that is um, willing to be grounded in reality and mm -hmm. grounded in facts and grounded in um, sort of, yeah, just the reality of what's really going on here. Uh, Trump cannot, I mean, for those who uh, believe that, I, I find it, um, yeah, I find it unlikely that Trump could make two phone calls and somehow uh, end an arms war. But um, 
for for Biden to come out and do something like that shows that we still have hope, right? And that there is still a party of sense um, for whatever that's worth <laughs> here in yeah. this country today. Um, diplomacy is still a, a possibility, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think that that one of the uh, benefits of, of Biden's election uh, has been the survival of the Ukraine. Right, correct. Because I think, I think the re-election of Trump would have uh, would have ended any uh, hope of uh, Ukraine sovereignty. Uh, they would have been taken over by now. Um, the United States would have would just sat by. Um, they would not have energized the other European countries at right. all to do anything. Um, and if you read the, read the, this fascinating book that I still haven't finished called The Divider, um, he obviously, uh, the ex-president, has deep ties to Russia um, that go far beyond any uh, normal diplomatic exercises. And um, it amazes me how people who uh, are in the Republican Party uh, are, are still supporting this. Right. I, I, really, I really don't understand it. And, and that's going to segue, of course, into, to me, an extraordinarily disturbing uh, development regarding Kevin McCarthy uh, giving uh, pretty much all the tapes the videotapes, audio tapes, what have you, of January 6th <laughs> to Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. First of all, <clears throat> any of that information, if it's going to be given to anybody, should be given to law the enforcement. The authorities, correct. Yeah, the FBI, the Justice Department, the Attorney General, you know, what have you, regarding the, the possible crimes that were committed on that day. And um, the, 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 the thought occurs to me uh, this this may be the first instance of all the things that Kevin McCarthy had to promise to get to be elected Speaker of the House, and we don't probably even know half of the stuff that he agreed, agreed to. to. Um, so it, it 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 is incredibly disturbing. Uh, it's made even more disturbing though by the fact that. Um, the Dominion lawsuit against Fox now, hmm. where well now you know what uh, these people really think, right? You know Tucker Carlson knows it's all yeah. that was all a sham, that that was yeah. all ridiculous, that that all went above and beyond what anybody could have even fathomed this country could ever devolve into. He knew that. We have texts showing he knew yeah. that. So yeah. uh, and that and then that's the person Kevin McCarthy. I, I mean, it's just it, it's it's so beyond words. Yeah. Well, it's 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 extraordinarily disturbing yes. to me disturbing yeah to you know just as an observer of the media that you know you have on air personalities who obviously their their whole lives are given into ratings correct and and of course the fear that uh, if they told the truth that a lot of their audience would desert them. And not even if they told it, if they stopped talking about yeah. election fraud, their ratings immediately dipped. I mean, the second they stopped yeah. speaking about elections, fraud, voting in general, they saw dips in ratings. Yeah, yeah. So it was their moneymaker. That was the, I mean, he had nothing else to talk about because otherwise they turned off the channel. Yeah, but it's interesting when you when you read some of the emails and you read some of the text, um, the profound cynicism, yep. though, of these yep. people—that I'm always—I'm always harping on the on this one theme, and it, it's not just in the media, but it's in politics. It's in a lot of our institutions. I think a lot of our problems in America have to do with people who have influence and power, yes. but don't believe in anything. Everything is the bottom line for them. Money, money, and as a result, uh, when you need people to step up. 
in a in a situation of, of national emergency, um, they, they 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 don't do that. Um, I think I think um, Rupert Murdoch also bears a lot of responsibility for this um, because he's been in broadcasting for li- literally decades, and there's this certain line that you don't cross. I mean, I don't care whether you're a conservative or a liberal. I think that's that's also something that's we've become so tribalized in our country that we've forgotten very basic norms of behavior. Right. And being a Republican or being a Democrat is not an, is not an excuse for putting false material on 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 television. That you have a responsibility. Um, it used to be. It used to be that you had something called standards and practices. <laughs> this is going back to the days of Walter Cronkite, Huntley and Brinkley, Howard K. Smith and these people. And it's all gone now. It's like right. a, like a free-for-all. And I'll add it's not just in TV broadcasting. This is in print media as well. Uh, I mean, this is this is pervasive in almost all, all media forms that we're able to consume now, from TV to print to radio. I mean, everything sort of got its own... Its own spin, and and I to diagnose the problem, Professor. I believe that politics have become more of a personality trait. Mm-hmm. Um, r- whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, it is a sometimes a defining characteristic for some people. Mm-hmm. They live their entire lives, much like you said, and I think it's an important point um, for the this bottom line, which they think is affected by politics and politics only, not who you know, not what you do, not who you are on a day-to-day basis, but politics. So I think so much of, you call it identity politics, but people really do wrap their entire personality, mm-hmm. their entire life, what they do on Facebook, what they do mm-hmm. with each other in in politics when they're, one, not qualified, the vast mm-hmm. majority of people to be that mm-hmm. involved, and, and two, it doesn't actually create any sense of community because you are all going to disagree on sometimes mm-hmm. on basic issues, but that when that's your personality and you view the other person as issues or views on an issue mm-hmm. instead of the totality of who who humans are, mm-hmm. I think that's the problem yeah. is um, when uh, being a Republican or being a Democrat is who you are and not just a part of a political system or a part of, you know – yeah. A smaller part of your life, right? Yeah. It's it's who these people are. Well, I think I think it's also too that we have a large segment of our population that is not intellectually curious. Correct. And I I don't mean that in the sense that you have to read John Paul Sartre. No, or, but get out of an like echo that. chamber, right? Yeah, but I mean at least at least explore the other side of it, right? To see if there's any validity to what they're arguing, and you you don't have any of that today. And when you see the House of Representatives in particular, it's like a free for all. It's like it's like a like almost like a wrestling event, yeah. where people are just out to to, uh, to destroy one another. And uh, the 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 major purpose for what what they're there for, uh, you know, passing legislation and helping, uh, you know, the people who they're supposed to serve. Is is left out. Right. It's in, it's interesting though that uh, you know regarding that how quickly the Republicans dropped the idea of making cuts in Medicare and Social Security. Right. They that they jumped out of that real fast. Right. But again, uh, people will go as far as you let them. I mean, it's really true. And and they've been pushing the, they've been pushing the the boundaries for a while now. And uh, I'm sure going down the road for the next two years, we're going to see a lot of stuff in the House that we've never imagined. Uh, and um, whether or not the Democrats have the wherewithal to withstand that, it remains the question. 
you know, and, and whether or not, and whether or not um, the president as a leader can actually appeal to a majority of the people in the country as to what his mission is and what the mission of our country is. Uh, it's interesting, and coming up here today, I was talking to somebody, and uh, the President Biden's name came up in conversation, and the person was very much against what President, President Biden going even to the Ukraine. And I said, well, why is that? He says, well, we have all these things we should be doing in the United States. We don't take, we don't take care of this. We don't take care of that. And that's and that's all true. That's all true. But this event really affects all of us because it's what's going on in the world. It's not just in the Ukraine. It's what's going on in Brazil. It's what's going on in Turkey. It's what's going on in Hungary. It's what's going on in all these countries. There is a major battle, perhaps the biggest battle ever that's been fought in our world between the forces of democracy as imperfect as it is, and the forces of totalitarianism. Yeah, I think uh, since the proliferation of nuclear weapons, um, international diplomacy is no longer an option. We it, it's, it can't just be within our borders. We take care of home. It, it cannot be um, other uh, other countries of nuclear weapons. I mean, just very plain and simple. <laughs> when we're talking mm-hmm. mass destruction, when we're talking terror, when we're talking that level of and quite frankly, um, you know, the U.S. is obviously a military threat like no other, but. Is that true anymore? Do we really know what a Chinese military, what a Russian military at full force would look like? Mm. Have we been shown that? I'm not so sure in the war with Ukraine we have. I'm not. Mm. And we haven't seen nuclear weapons used in, in any sort of, you know, meaningful way recently. But we don't know these things. So for, for someone to make such a brazen comment, oh, Joe Biden shouldn't go up, we don't know. Mm. We don't know what one, you know, the feather effect, the ripple effect that mm. refusing diplomacy or thinking that our issues need to be our issues and don't affect. I mean, as a superpower, as a world superpower, mm. which we love to proclaim ourselves as we have a certain duty to protect yes like you say democracy from becoming to- totalitarian mm. to- geez can't get that one out today um authoritarianism too so mm. i think um i think 100% right as as soon as we've become a world where the proliferation of nuclear weapons becomes a reality uh we can't ignore international diplomacy and it can't be something we take for granted and it can't be something we ignore and say well let's focus on our borders it's mm. just not real well i think i think we're also um, fighting that battle in our own country mm-hmm. when you have institutions of, of higher learning uh, such as the new college in Florida and uh, the controversy with the uh, college boards about teaching uh, African-American history in the United States, um, there, these similar things are going on where the, uh, where the country basically founded on on freedom of speech and freedom of press, and also freedom of thought uh, seems to be under, under attack by people who basically want to re- rewrite our history. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a battle that we have to really uh, uh, take seriously. I think, it, I think it also, one of the other things that's happened as we talk about our democratic society is, is a loss of faith in our institutions. Uh, we have a situation now in Ohio with the train derailment. Uh, and again, again, in, 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 in sad echoes of the Flint, Michigan water crisis. Oh, and, and I think I think this will be mounds worse. You know, mounds worse. Yeah. And, you know, the, and, Flint, the Flint water crisis, this was 
something we knew about, something was a slow burn, something mm-hmm. that, I mean, this was catastrophic. Mm-hmm. People are immediately, immediately suffering health, ill health effects, mm-hmm. this cattle dying. These are, but, and I think we should be more scared because in, in Flint, there was no immediate rush to cut these people checks, right? I mean, there was, we couldn't get, you couldn't even get enough press about what was going on in Flint. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even get certain publications to pick up the Flint story until it became huge, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, here, when they're so quick to write a check, a thousand dollars, you know, for income, you need to be immediately concerned about the willingness to hand out money just like that to sort of keep people quiet when mm-hmm. you're feeling immediate symptoms. Cattle are dying. I mean, this is yeah. this is really something, and I I think we're going to be hard pressed to know the long term mm-hmm. effects of something like this because they're carcinogens. So when these people develop cancer in fifty years, and we've all forgotten about it, but then they're strapped with medical, you know, it's mm-hmm. just not. It, uh, this could really be something and and i who even knows how the, sort of the length sort of the the width sort of the the scope of this attack i mean mm. well, attack but this this accident right it could have affected 150 102 so many more people could be affected than we even know because we don't we yeah. don't study these sort of things right yeah well certainly uh, it's interesting that um the company the railroad company right. that's in charge of this has cut back on their safety regulations. And Trump a, era yes, situation. Yes, and, and, and as a result, um, their profits have gone up exponentially. So this is another, this is another issue, though. And there is a, there is a, there is a lack of, there is a lack of trust mm-hmm. that we're seeing all through our society, which I think in a lot of ways has fostered MAGA. Yeah. Because people really looked at a lot of these institutions and then they uh, well a perfect example a perfect example is is the the school shooting down in Texas we're still waiting all these many months now we're into, we're going to be headed for the spring soon and we still haven't gotten the truth of what happened on in that on that day and i think it's very dangerous because people now there's a cynicism about our government not just our federal government, but our in Florida certainly with our state government, mm-hmm. and and the people say, well, you know, um, what is the purpose of a democracy if if the will of the people isn't isn't even acted upon? It isn't, it isn't even considered, you know. Um, so um, from that, we we move across the pond to England, and uh, we have the very very uh, interesting story of a man by the name of Andrew Tate. And I'm going to I'm going to give this over to Lana, who can really talk about who Andrew Tate so is. So, if if you don't know who Andrew Tate is, Andrew Tate has risen risen to social media fame for espousing just just problematic views. We'll <laughs> say. I mean, these views are misogynistic. These views are sometimes leaning on racist. These views, not sometimes, they're leaning on racist. These views. I mean, he's just this guy is a. So right now he's currently in Romanian jail prison. For those who don't know, I'm sure it's a gulag type situation. Thank God it's where he deserves to be. He just got tacked with another 30 days. Not sure why. But this guy, um, he was allowed to espouse dangerous, I mean, dangerous views about individuals that do not look like him um, sort of across the board uh, on social media platforms. This is Facebook. This is Instagram. He was he was banned from Twitter. Um, He is no longer, from my understanding. Thanks, Elon. Uh, But I mean, this guy was allowed to if you have a son between the ages of I'll go 13 and 18, he he was privy to this guy. 
he knew of this guy. Believe me. Ask your sons. If you're a parent listening to this, go home and ask your son if he knows who Andrew Tate is. The answer is yes. I mean, you could not escape this guy's venom. You couldn't escape what he was. So there sort of became this onus on these massive social media companies that are raking multi-billion dollar profits each quarter to sort of act upon this. And you know this this gentleman, Andrew Tate, and his brother, to a lesser extent, were espousing very dangerous views that were being viewed to the tunes of tens of millions of times by very impressionable young teens, and nothing was done about it. Um, And now this guy is, you know, confirmed criminal. This is not question mark, question mark on who this guy is. We know. We know. Um, And so, you know, I think what we're trying to get at today is maybe there needs to be some level of accountability for who is is being allowed on social media platforms, the kind of person we then lift up on those social media Mm. platforms and why we allow our sons and and daughters too, I should say, to to watch this content. Well, I think I, I think it's obvious to say, but I'll say it anyway. There's no such thing as unlimited freedom. Mm-hmm. There has to be at a certain point, um, in certain unique instances, a restriction upon people who are put out who put out there stuff that's destructive of society. This is a man basically who, for years, has given out misogynistic rants. He's dehumanized women. He said basically that women are not the equal of men. He said a whole bunch of stuff that's that goes beyond the pale. And I think that there needs to be, and I've said it before, there needs to be some regulation of social media. There needs to be some standard of conduct, behavior, what have you, that people can feel, people can feel that there is a involvement by the social me- the people who run the social media platforms that it's not just a free for all that you can put anything out there that you can Yeah, run. I mean, Facebook can suspend you for selling fake handbags or Twitter right. can suspend you for, you know, saying too many f words, things of that nature, right? We're not we can we can suspend people for doing relatively harmless activities, right? But mm-hmm. when you're starting to call up the men to arms or to, you know, mm-hmm. treat women as less than all of a sudden, mm-hmm. eh, free speech. Yeah. Right? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> and I think it's free speech when it's convenient for these you know, you don't want to go these people, but that's sort of the it's sort of what it is. It's free speech at their convenience. So Andrew Tate has the right to spill, you know, to to spew this vitriol. But God forbid you want to teach your kid about slavery. Well, mm. then no free speech there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just they pick and choose when free speech fits their narrative. Mm. And in this case, when you've got a guy who's basically telling your sons that women are beneath them and they shouldn't even, you know, they, they should live a life of incel. I, I don't if that's only going to hit for a few of you, but they want to live an incel life. Uh, yeah, that's that's a problem. That's an issue. And the, the the thing the thing that I was thinking about and reading about him, um, the article I read had to do with the English school system, mm-hmm. and the English school system now basically, it is it has started programs in a lot of the high schools in in England, uh, discussing and trying to to um, show the students uh, that. A lot of what this man is saying, a lot of these things that the young people look up to and admire are really very harmful to society. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's certainly vis-a-vis the relationships um, between men and women uh, is, is very harmful. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. 
And I think that I think society has a responsibility. Certainly, the English uh, school system believes they have a responsibility to basically educate young people about the dangers of a lot of this stuff. Before we leave this, I do want to add my strongest feeling about this, and I did bring this up last show, is that there's a lot of culpability with parents. Mm-hmm. You ha- you put that cell phone in your kid's hand. You pay the bill every month. Mm-hmm. You have the opportunity to monitor what's done on there. You have a relationship with your child while they're in your house mm-hmm. every day on that phone. So what they do in that time should be part of the parent's responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I find that parents have dumped a lot of that responsibility on the tech bros at Facebook to take care of their kid. Or then the onus becomes in England now on the child to learn how to keep themselves safe on the internet. This is a whole brave new world for these kids. And Mm -hmm. they're handed the iPad at three years old. And they're not told what that means. And they're not given Mm -hmm. instruction. And they're not monitored. So I do believe and my overarching feeling about the whole thing is that the onus needs to be on parents to take care of their children that they put the iPad in their hands, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that, that I think is really important to say, that it shouldn't – Facebook has a responsibility. I believe that children have a responsibility. At the end of the day, it's the parents buying them that phone. Right. Well, that, that's true. I think, I think also it's true, though, uh, that the school system has a responsibility. Sure. But where, yeah. where, 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 they, where they go uh, in the case of, uh, in the, case of uh, the girl who committed suicide, we had discussed in our last show, uh, and and the, the videos were put on TikTok. Uh, yes, it's, it was it was it was irresponsible of TikTok to put the sh- to put videos like that on. Nothing, nothing, nothing uh, uh, directed toward a, a, a single group, whether it's it's whether it's uh, women or, or or LGBT people or transgender people. That that uh, advocates violence or or, or publicizes violence mm-hmm. against them should ever be should, should ever, ever be, be allowed posted. against anybody. Oh, I agree. But but it's also it's also the schools though, and and what how 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 are the schools run? I mean, I I went to school. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, a little, I'm sort of a dinosauric creature, but I, I but I, this stuff never went on. I mean, I I was in a, I was in a a, a public academic um, high school. In New York City, the schools. Uh, as someone who went to high school with the phones, they're never going to get rid of the phones. So the onus does have to be, I, I believe, a little bit on the. Par- you are never going to get those phones out of those kids' hands or have them not be a part of the educational system now. Um, so I do believe that knowing that maybe there is some responsibility on the schools to instruct how it has to be used and what is appropriate usage for those cell phones, but well, it'll I, never I, be the same. I think I think it's more than the phones, though. I think it's more than the phones. I think it's the way, the way schools are run. Yeah, and that you have you have a lot of these incidents going on that should never be going on. I mean, I was in I was I went to high school for four years, and it never happened. Oh it, no! I mean, I I, I can't tell happened. you the amount of fights I saw, well, the that, amount of physical altercations I saw. This was on a almost daily basis. Well, how is that though? You got one school resource officer for 3,000 Florida kids. Really? I mean, one school resource officer for 3,000 kids, and you've got 10 buildings. And this is not, my experience is Mm. not unique. Well, I think... And I went to a better, you know, I went to one of the better high schools in that state. I I don't think fights are pervasive now. Physical altercations are pervasive in public high schools. Mm. 
I don't think I'm wrong to say that. I think that's no, 100% no, true. I, I would, think they're I would, pervasive. Well, um, how do you change that? Well, and then it becomes a social media thing, too. Well, the phones are out, and then, you know, you wouldn't know what World Star is, Professor, but that was a part of it. <laughs> I um, so <laughs> I, I confess my ignorance. <laughs> no, we are running out of time here a little bit. So I do want to close tonight with sort of just the idea of there are certain things that we can do to take measures, whether that be we kind of drop a little mm. bit of politics and conversation. We do monitor our kids' phone. I think if we want to take a message away from this show um, is that there are the little things that we can do mm. to try to make this world a better place, whether that is monitoring the cell phone, whether that is dropping the politics and conversation Absolutely. with your neighbor, whether that is turning off the CNN, mm. whether that, you know, I think – we talk about all in this show about big, sweeping, institutional changes that we wish would happen. But I think there are day-to-day things you could mm. do as a listener that do make this world just a little bit easier to live in. Absolutely. So if the professor has any closing comments. Yeah, well, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. I mean, I think the, the purpose of our, our program here is to, to throw these things out there and, and hopefully uh, uh, touch a chord with people who listen to us. Um, about trying to make things better because the, 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 the theme of social justice um, covers a whole bunch of areas, but ultimately it starts with you as an individual. Correct. So we do want to remind all of our listeners that we are taking questions or any sort of topics you may want to hear the professor and I discuss. I'll take those at my email address, which just to remind you listeners is W-E-T-H-E-L-1 at unlv.nevada.edu. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Thank you and good night. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at Wethel1, that's W-E-T-H-E-L-1 at nevada.unlv.edu. Or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's Charles.Stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N at unlv.edu. See you next time. time.